Hey guys, what's going on? It's Brennan Sweeney from Coach's Cradle Podcast. Today we have on Tex McQuilkin. He has his Master's of Science. He's a fellow strength coach. He's the Power Athlete Director of Performance down in Texas. He also is the LAX Athletic Coordinator for Drip Lacrosse and helps out with the Dripping Springs Lacrosse Program. This episode is all-inclusive for lacrosse players or just if you're a high school coach in the area that needs a low-cost, low-budget way to still train your kids. I think Tex does a great job of outlining fundamental principles that are integrative for a strength and conditioning program in any level. And we just talk a lot about the different varying tools that strength coaches can utilize in order to get their kids bigger, stronger, faster. So without further ado, here is Tex McCulkin. But Tex, thank you for for agreeing to be on this with me. I know that I listened to your podcast and I I was pretty impressed with the conversation you and my buddy Ed Smith had about lacrosse in general. I knew I wanted to pick your brain a little bit more. So if you want to give a background through your lacrosse career and um, how you kind of keep the sport close to you and why it's still such a big part of what you do, even though I think you're a little, you're not disconnected in a way, but you do a lot of other stuff for sure. Yes, I'll I'll aim to be quick here. So from Katy, Texas, which is a small town west of Houston, and grew up playing football my entire life. And if you've seen the movie Friday Night Lights, it's pretty representative of how I grew up, where the whole town shuts down on Fridays and goes to football. The challenge was we had two high schools, Katy, which wins the state championship every year, yeah. and then Katy Taylor, which I went to. So our coaches, football is a business straight up in, in Texas, and they overlooked my junior class to invest in the sophomores, to give them an opportunity to lose for one, two, three years and sell hope so they could keep their jobs. This is, this is real. Um, so they overlooked us and we were leaders. We were winners in our own mind. So my, my boys and I, that were juniors, we all started the lacrosse team in town. And then five of the 10 of us went on to go play some college ball. Uh, fortunately, I got the opportunity to play division three at Marymount university right. and was a, basically a football player with a stick. So I was short stick D midi through and through. I had the opportunity to learn the game because I broke my leg my freshman year, which is one of the most fortunate things to happen to me looking back because I would go out and be so lost in terms of the schemes and just run into people 100 miles an hour and then not being able to run forced me to learn the defense, learn the game, especially how it's played on the East Coast versus a Texas where it, it was as violent as you can imagine. And if you didn't know what you were going to do, you just go put somebody down. I have hilarious stories from me and my boys, like our first ever tournament, not knowing the rules. Like as soon as one of us picks up the ball, the other guy takes off to leap block and just completely levels another kid. You can't do that. Moving pick plus unnecessary roughness, like every penalty yep. you can imagine. Yep. And then also us not knowing the rules back home, it was, okay, I got one penalty down, but then the, the game continues to flow. There's no way I can get another penalty. 
So you just go in equally as violent. So all sorts of fun, just uh, mishaps in the beginning of our career that didn't necessarily prepare me for college, except for the the opportunity to, you know, understand that there isn't there is a physicality to this game that I possessed that going to an East Coast to play, I could have the advantage. Maybe I couldn't catch and throw well, but damn it, you know, we're, I'm going to put my head through somebody. It's when you could still use your head as a weapon. So this is uh, kind of mid 2000s for for myself. But yeah, pre-targeting era. Yeah, pre-targeting era. But uh, needless to say, I had more career knockouts than I did goals. Uh, the Marymount University in which I played, we had a fitness center. We did not have a weight room, and I knew my all I knew my entire life was lift weights run as fast as you can and play your sport. So I continued to get creative in a way uh, during our, our fitness center at Marymount. And I, I gained a reputation within the, the coaching staff and they gave me the opportunity to be a graduate assistant coach for the team. So get some school in exchange for coaching. But I f- felt impo- imposter syndrome straight up. Like mm-hmm. I went on a recruiting trip uh, to Philadelphia and I was looking at kids and it was just this cognitive dissonance. Like I dude, I don't know what to look for. And I was speaking to kids and trying to recruit them when they had been playing the game longer than I have in my career. So I, I, I felt lost and realized how I could give back to my team was lift weights, run as fast as I could and get my, 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 my athletes to now run as fast as they can and teach them to play their sport. So right. this is where my coaching career uh, really took off because I had, okay, hey, we're going to meet 60 minutes during this time frame, and then I had them two hours at practice. So I could start to make some connections between, okay, I'm communicating, I'm failing to communicate what I want them to do in the weight room, but then I was having success with practice and the sport. So I started to make connections between, okay, we're going to set up on our squat with our our defensive positions to so start using the game and practice to educate in the weight room and vice versa. So then I had the weight room to utilize onto the field at practice, which is, which is very rare in the, the, the college scenario. It's usually, you know, you have a strength coach and then you have your skill and your sport coaches or for the division three, you got no strength coach coaches. Hey, Hey, go get a workout and you get lost in the weight room, you know, chatting and, stay on your phone half the time. But so it was a unique experience for me to learn how to actually coach with a bunch of division three athletes that weren't the best, but I had a high margin of error because they were too weak to hurt themselves. Yeah. And at the same time, they weren't great athletes. We're not on scholarship. So the risk of a a division one, like I I didn't have that there. They, uh, it was an awesome experience for me to kick off uh, my coaching career, three years into that experiment of both strength coach and sport coach, I realized I was a hell of a better strength coach than <laughs> sport coach and got the opportunity to jump across the river there in D.C. to Georgetown University and just focus on the strength portion. Um, you know, I, I also took on other teams, rowing, crew, uh, women's lacrosse and and helped out with the men's. So it was an awesome opportunity now to understand athleticism and movement rather than just training for a specific sport 
this paralleled the opportunity in my career to join the the power athlete team. So powerathletehq.com um, to check out for training programs, education, all that good stuff. So shameless plug there. But I would travel the world and teach coaches how to teach people to lift weights and run fast. Then I got during the week, I'm working with these collegiate athletes now on scholarship division one where it mattered. So I had to be a little bit more conservative and protecting, but still understand that I have to take some risks because not all these kids are going to get playing time. So how can we push their limits a little bit, put them in a position where they can succeed, but at the same time, I cannot hurt them. Absolutely not because it, you know, that's, that takes away their scholarship, their opportunity to play and do what they love. So a grand learning experience, dude, I, I don't envy you at the, the college coaching level. It's long hours and nobody cares, but damn it, you are passionate about the movement and you aim to take people where they cannot take themselves. College, I think gives you the opportunity as well to learn under some coaches exactly what what works and what doesn't it the relationship i think that i've heard between lacrosse coaches and strength coaches is usually pretty decent but some of the other sports those guys are are in there and they want to have as much input as they can you know what i mean so what did you i'll say what do you think the biggest difference was first program in grad school to then your last program in your college career i imagine the progression scheme would look more meathead to veteran strength coach who maybe focuses more uh, a lot of field work stuff a lot of different a lot of different stuff other than just bench press being maximum maximally utilized well the i i had full faith and trust at my division three since it was my coach uh during it so he let me do whatever the hell i want the problem is i didn't know what the hell i was doing <laughs> which sucked because i would put kids through horrendous workouts they may have been mentally tough but at the same time they were not as fast and as strong as they should and could have been unfortunately uh so we had a good run there and didn't have any catastrophic injuries i say that's that's the most uh that's the biggest takeaway no no acls no dudes losing their their careers there but then at the the college level now the sport coach everything that they say goes yeah. So if their fitness test is a mile and a half run, or if it's a 225 max out bench out test, that's what you got to do. So now you can position and, and provide some social intelligence to the present, hey, this is maybe not the best representation of preparation for your team, or you just do what the hell they say and you shut up and make sure nobody gets hurt within the test that they want. So it's a, a lot of give and take, but at the same time, you should still fight to make an argument and not argument in yeah. the, the negative sense, argument in the like the um, the philosophy sense that you can present, okay, well, here's the pros and the cons of what you want to accomplish. And now what's the purpose? If it's a mentally tough test in that mile and a half to make sure that they didn't do anything stupid over break, okay, I can get behind that. But we also have to understand there's a no point the pace of a mile and a half that's going to be on the field. If you see that pace, you're probably going to get pissed off. But if this is a mentally tough test to make sure guys didn't do anything stupid over break, okay, I can get behind that. Uh, 
so it, now if you level up to the professional level, there are no conditioning tests. Uh, the margin for error is much smaller. So you need to be as accurate as possible within the, the preparation for the specifics there. So now if it's, it's high school, I, uh, I'm coaching high school now for Dripping Springs, a small town west of Austin. And we have tests in place, but it's more of measuring progress over right, one, two, three, right. and four years versus the, the preparation. Uh, so that's that's also something to consideration if you're a strength coach. Okay, how can I measure my progress for my athletes over the last the next four years rather than this one snapshot of preparation of the two, three weeks that they didn't do anything over winter break? Uh, when I was at Georgetown, I was assisting. So just making sure that the weight room was set up and everybody was doing what they needed to do within the card and not goofing off too much. Uh, we also had a fun opportunity. It was 2012. Coach Warren, who's there now, amazing job, top five program. But there was his year one for him, and he yeah. he inherited a lot of kids. And his task for Coach Sean Foster. Sean Foster is now with Georgetown Soccer, there, uh, no longer with the lacrosse team, but doing his thing with soccer. But he he tasked Foster with making kids quit. So there was a conditioning test in place that Foster had. I can't remember at the top of my head, but then we had to basically make 50% of the team not want to be there or want to be there to make sure that coach Warren had his dudes going into his first year of the season. So it was hell. If you've ever seen the movie, the exorcist or familiar with the Georgetown, yeah. uh, Washington DC area, there's these stairs that the in the exorcist dude gets blown out the window and falls down these stairs it's freaking like a mile high so we would burn these guys on the stairs and as soon as they completed a run then they got handed off to me for a bunch of trunk work and then as soon as they couldn't do anything within their trunk anymore they had to run back down to the bottom of the stairs and start all over again so that was a fun experience again mental toughness or level up to I want to find out who wants to be here. Let's make them all quit. None of that is in your textbook to be a strength coach. No. But at the same time, we're not in the business of hurting people or giving them rhabdomaliosis. So we yeah. got to be smart about it. I wouldn't do any of the stuff that we did in that 2012 year with Warren with the high schoolers that we have here. But I still want the same purpose. Like I got to find out who wants to be here as a high school athlete because this is in Texas, lacrosse is club sport. It's not UIL. It's not associated or connected with the school. It's club ball. So now your parents pay to play, but we still don't want to just accept money. We want to create a, a culture and a team there. Now, I have more creative tools than just running to accomplish if you want to be here or not. So we try to take full advantage of that. A lot of coaches out there, uh, sport coaches, aim to accomplish the goal of, you know, mental toughness. We want to run these guys yeah. into the ground. If you've seen the movie Miracle, right, you know, blowing right. the whistle again. Well, if I'm a carpenter and the only tool that I know how to use is a hammer, then I'm going to see every single problem as a nail. Now, as we as strength coaches, more experienced, we understand the purpose. Okay, mental toughness. I got to make sure that people want to be here. So let's see who our guys are. Now we have isometric holds. We have different uh, calisthenic progressions. Nobody likes burpees, but however, burpees are not going to get anybody hurt. 
overrunning on concrete. Yeah, that sure as shit is going to get some kids hurt, stretch, stress fractures, shin splints, everything. Uh, so it's a lot of different tools in place to accomplish that goal of getting kids to quit or making sure they want to be there without the risk of injury. So a lot of mix between uh, coaching college, coaching high school, but the bottom line, establish a purpose. What are we trying to accomplish? And then it has to be followed up with a question of prudency. Prudent meaning, did it accomplish what we set it out to do? If kids are getting hurt, it wasn't a prudent practice to find out who's mentally tough. Uh, if they're getting in shape and they're they're gelling as a team, okay, that's a pretty prudent practice that we presented to bring people together. I love the point that you just brought up of did it serve a purpose? When I came back one year for my college lacrosse season, my coach was really, really excited to implement this new fitness test. And he said, we're going to be ranked and your ranking would dictate your playing time. And we all kind of looked at each other like, Oof. Like I, I definitely, I mean, me being a strength coach, I'd, I'd like to say that I did some decent work over the break, but you know, you're looking at some kid who just, who just put a dip in or something. And you're like, I don't know how you're going to do. And we finished it and we got ranked. I think I ended up like two or three. It was a bunch of miles, a bunch of half, a bunch of quarter miles, and then like max out, max out pushups, max out pull-ups, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm looking at all my friends who are really good and they're just at the bottom I was just like, oh my God, what happened? And, you know, season comes, they all played. Nothing, exactly. nothing happened. So to your point, did it serve a purpose? What was the, what was the purpose of that? Just us to be running for half a day. Um, so that one, that one was wild for sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of empty threats in there and that's dangerous because we all know there's no hiding the best players play period end of story. Yeah. So you can't throw that empty promise out there because then your head coach throws has the risk of losing the team the next time he makes a bold claim or a bold statement, even an empowering one, trying to get the dudes to believe in themselves. There's still this, this sense of doubt because what well, you didn't follow up with what you said before. Mm -hmm. Are you lying to me now? There's a couple of moments like that for sure. Good. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So too, too much risk there. And then, yeah, that's, that's not a culture I want to be a part of. You know, you hold yeah. the people accountable, whether at their their top on the depth chart or they're the bottom and, you know, character will lead through it. And there's this is one of my favorite things. There is a, a thing called the Ewing theory. So Patrick Ewing and this is from Bill Simmons. He's a sportcaster. He's got this thing called the Ewing theory, meaning when the New York Knicks, when Patrick Ewing was on the team, they were maybe highlights all this stuff but when then ewing went down and was hurt the knicks were better so their stats their record everything showed that they were a better team when their best player was not playing so this ewing theory yeah. so any team that i want to be a part of i don't care if about the rock star or the numero uno if if it's bringing the team down so things to consider is that Ewing theory. Are we a better, more cohesive, believe in each other, trust unit out there that may not be as talented on paper or individually? That's that's something I want to be a part of. And that's something as a strength coach, hell, you want through and through because it's people that are willing to do everything that you ask them to do just to get 1% better every single day. And I also love the 
point that you brought up about the testing and isometric holds. That's been something I've been doing for a while. And I encourage if you are ready to test out your kid's mental toughness, but you don't want to run them into the dirt, or I hope you don't want to run them into the dirt, a simple isometric lunge will test a lot of kids' mental fortitude of, can you just hold this for longer than two minutes? And isometric lunge is easily one of the least favorite things that I prescribe, but probably one of the best in terms of creating that discipline of just staying up there for 30 seconds longer. So uh, yeah. moving, moving on, growing up in well, Texas, I'm sure we go ahead. Uh, just to, to build off that, that's an excellent thing. You also in isometrics, you learn who your leaders are. It's right. boring to hold stuff. You can lose concentration and focus. You can drop down. Now, if I'm staying focused, I'm dialed in. I can see somebody go down because our all eyes are on our teammates. I'm I'm motivating. I'm getting loud. I, as a coach, I'm not asking anybody to say anything during isometrics. I just want to see who my leaders are when the going gets tough. So, yeah, right on with that ISO lunge, mm-hmm. pillars, all good stuff for learning something about your team. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're a coach, what you had just said there is maybe that's the best time to quiet down, lower your voice, and you can hear who's stepping up to the plate and giving out instructions or just giving out motivation. So, so we were moving on here. You growing up in Texas, big, big, big football state. Um, I got one thrower that insists it's the best track state in the country too. So athletes are everywhere. I'm sure there's a lot more football players that picked up lacrosse late like you versus on the East coast where you were at in Maryland, there's probably a lot of lacrosse players that play football in the off season to stay conditioned or build up some stuff. Um, what was it? Wedding crashers. The only thing that Maryland does well is football and crab cake. So mm-hmm. um, that was an interesting state for you to, to be around or be a part of. What have you noticed between the Texas athletes that makes them superior versus the East coast athletes. And do you think that's a developmental piece in terms of their, their childhood or their upbringing with sport? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's the culture and yeah. in Texas, parents are so invested and involved in the youth sports, whether we're talking volleyball, soccer, football, anything, baseball, especially that's another big one. Parents are so involved. So I think kids aim to, just dial in and focus faster and earlier. Not to say any of this is better. I would argue yeah. parents have them play more sports than just the the one. So the beauty is any any successful athlete that I've seen at the college level at any anywhere was a multi-sport athlete. And then more often than not, believe it, their secondary sport, what was not their their push, their first love, their passion growing up became what they were more successful at. So if they were obsessed with basketball growing up and then eventually morphed into a lacrosse player and then got opportunity to play lacrosse at the second level, that's just as common when it comes to a football. So that way, everything that they were learning and investing and so focused on the intent of developing the skills just so happened to also be positives that carried over to basketball. And the uh, we see it all the time. I love the lacrosse network on Instagram that if there's any a professional athlete in the NFL, uh, especially that used to play lacrosse, they're all over them and hyping about yeah. their lacrosse history that now they're a professional NFL. So we see it both ways. 
I would say the characteristics of the different sports can be found in lacrosse because it is just such a mesh of soccer, basketball, hockey, the physicality of football. So it presents an opportunity as this secondary sport if they're not as big, if they're not as fast, or if they're not as skilled within the the shooting yeah. uh, or you know hitting a baseball. So all the the mechanics, all the the foundational movement drills and skills that are developed in the other sport can be expressed in lacrosse and it presents an awesome opportunity because it's just not as deep a pool as basketball as baseball as football so more kids can get more opportunities so even if it isn't their first love and their passion at their high school or their middle school level continue to push and have them play it because you never know when the switch might click and some coach puts them down or cuts them or does something stupid that then realizes, oh, maybe life isn't all about football. Maybe yeah. there is this other opportunity out there that could really change the tra whole trajectory of my entire life. And it also happens to be really freaking fun called lacrosse. It's so funny that that you bring that up because I'm sure that in your division three level or both of our division three levels, you see so many different athletes who I would still quantify as good athletes, but they're coming in all different shapes and sizes where you have this strict line in most other sports, basketball, football, where you have required athletic um, potentials where it's, you have to be a certain height. You have to be a certain weight if you want to be successful, but in lacrosse, you can literally be whatever shape and size and you can fit into different categories. You may be cut from the basketball team your freshman year because you were average height, average speed, but then somewhere a lacrosse coach would probably look at you and say, that'd be a great crease guy. You're, you're sneaking around a little bit. I like the way that you move. So to your point, I think getting some of those B tier athletes in Texas may just be better overall for the development of Texas lacrosse. Um, I remember going to a tournament and seeing, I can't even remember the team's name. It may have been stick star, but they were destroying people at the U15 level. South Star. So that's going to be, that's yeah. here in this Austin area. Yeah. Yeah. So they were just destroying people, lighting them up. They were five inches taller than most of the U15 teams. And they were hooting and hollering and celebrating. Do you think there's more of an energy that goes around Texas? Are the athletes at least more serious about training over there? Uh, if you had picked up strength and conditioning, for just lacrosse in Texas. I know uh, if you've ever talked to Nick Tintle, he's there right now. Mm -hmm. Like how committed, how devoted are these kids by the age of middle school? To the sport, all in. If yeah. they're if they're a sport kid, they're all in and they're going to be obsessed, whether it's it's baseball, it's football, lacrosse. Usually they're obsessed with the one sport. The the sooner it's lacrosse, the better because the the more time they have invested in the skill. The, the training outside of that, the only sport that training is connected to is football. It is part of the culture of football and preparation. I started lifting weights in middle school, and I know it's still the same going on here, probably a hell of a lot better than the program I was on way back. But the, the only sport training, like weightlifting, speed work, is connected to is football. The rest yeah. of the sports are stuck in more skill work, more one-on-one -on -one individual camps. 
And I'm sure you and I would argue against it. We need more general work at that level. Yeah. Let's just work on physical preparedness, coordination, building and packing on some of that meat suit so you can protect yourself in this contact sport. So that's that's an argument against the individual sessions or year round for a single sport. We can make up for them so they don't get burnt out earlier and introduce training physical preparation so this way they have a healthy relationship with two things hard work that's going to carry into the sport and two just fitness strength training the suck because we want them to take that beyond they're going to be working out and training and and participating in fitness a hell of a lot longer in their life than they are sport so if they get the right coach at middle school or high school That isn't all about just driving them into the ground with this specific sports skill, no matter the sport, then they can go a hell of a lot longer, fast, farther, faster, and then they can protect themselves. So they go to a D3 where they don't have a strength coach. They're now prepared to do it on their own and they know what to do. And versus you can never hear, and I'll, I'll put a stake in the ground. You should never get hurt in the weight room training period. It's going to happen in practice and contact sport. That's inevitable. However, if you're training and preparing for a sport, you should never get hurt in the weight room. That's either poor programming, poor coaching, or athlete just losing focus and doing something stupid where they shouldn't have done in the weight room and training. Unfortunately, that happens as well, but that's on the coach to keep it engaging within the workout or you know, speaking with impassioned and making sure everybody's on point and managing that weight room going around versus just saying hey this is the program do it and then you get the clapper oh good job no get in there yeah. motivate make sure they're on point you can talk a little trash to to keep them focused and engaged you can get to know them but yeah don't let them go off somewhere unsupervised and then get hurt there's some phenomenal high school strength coaches that i follow from texas in specific that um you know i see a lot of middle schoolers training around my area and the squats are are terrible the push-ups are extremely subpar and the strength coaches in texas have these kids going ass to grass on a five second tempo with a three second pause and you're just like maybe that's why texas can uh can produce all this it's it's how the sauce is just made that makes it so good yeah but there's a lot that's not on social that is bad uh oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure the the high schools that are outside of allen or outside of oh man what is what's kyler murray well kyler murray's allen but patrick mahomes went somewhere else but yeah if you don't have the money to invest i'm sure that there's some high school football coach that's still doing weight training the way that he did back in his day oh yeah so now with the the high schoolers i i ask him hey take a photo of your football training. I'll check it out each week. And then the the beauty of the high school level, I have, I wouldn't call it half, but there's, there's maybe 40% yeah. that are football players. So they're during school. So football is a class in Texas. You get a grade, you show up, it's either 60 or 90 minutes and you do your weight training you do your skill work. So it is a class in Texas. So yeah. they are doing double duty during lacrosse season. They're training in the weight room or the 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 court the uh the you know indoor if it's cold the track the field if it's warm 
So they're doing all this training and then they have seven on seven skill work practice. And then late at night, we have a lacrosse practice. So they're doing one, two, three a days in lacrosse season. If they're not a senior and in preparing for the football, the spring practice. So I know spring sport with Texas is uh, lacrosse or everywhere, but there's also this spring practice season. So they get 16 practices. Yeah. So that doesn't include the training session, 16 full contact practices, and then a spring game. So now we need to work that into the, the, the preparation schedule. So that way we're not overloading kids and getting them hurt with shin splints, fractures, all sorts of crazy madness. So I had asked my dudes to just show me what's going on in the weight room and aim to manage that small group uh, better than the rest of the team. So a lot going on here uh, to manage workload. As you can imagine, taking that uh, same mindset as a college approach between a starter and a non-starter. Yeah. Both got to manage those loads differently. So now using that experience for the high school level. So for training lacrosse players, the one overlooked thing, I think when we think about training lacrosse or when someone who's not familiar with the sport is the different energy demands for the different athletes, right? Because people most of the time think about it as hockey or basketball. The energy demands in those two sports are almost similar because you're on the court for the same amount of time. Shifts happen at the same time, but you know you have a very unique skill set in goalies, defenders, and midfielders where the movement is entirely different. The amount of ground cover in a game is entirely different. So how do we go about training the specific positions during conditioning? Is there anything in the weight room that you look at in terms of maybe some common injuries or what are the main goals that you have in terms of designing a lacrosse program? For for strength and conditioning, let's break this up into strength and conditioning. Uh, so leading, leading off with straight strength, excuse me, I'll pose a question. Why, why do we lift weights? So I'll throw this your way. So I would say at the high school level, I think, I think it depends per, per level, right? The high school level would be to develop certain amount of coordination. You can build up an athlete's muscular system. You can build energy systems. You can build resilience in the athletes. Um, you can induce uh, stress that is positive to the athletes overall in terms of their sport. Um, I mean, there, there's, there's quite a bit. And then at the peak level, right. A lot of that is just injury prevention in terms of keeping muscles resilient enough to, to withstand and, and produce force. So professional athletes are just pretty much getting trained to not break down. Right. Yes, exactly. So yeah. there you go. You're well-versed in that social intelligence ability to present that for when a, a coach uh argues against you why do we need to go to the weight room or hey we just they were assholes and i've had this one they were assholes at practice and you have this planned lift afterwards coach calls you up in the weight room they were assholes at practice i ran them two miles stay off their legs click okay well let's get creative so uh essentially the perfect plan when it comes to strength training doesn't necessarily exist because as we've mentioned earlier with our football dudes for my guys they have so much going on outside of the sport and the training opportunity. And if you're a private practice, you get these people once a week, maybe. Yeah. So why do we lift weights all on board with everything that you shared? 
Now I'll, I'll throw the, the different perspective and then what we do with the Dripping Springs lacrosse team. So the answer that I have, why do we lift weights, is to challenge posture and position. So whether I'm an offensive player or a defensive player, success comes down to posture and positioning of my body and execution of the movement. So posture, this is everything. Our spine is aligned. If I'm on defense, I need to, to, to brace. If I'm on offense, I need to brace to execute and go through something. Defense, I need to brace and protect when the, an athlete is coming towards me. Then positioning. This is all about the positioning of my legs to execute the movement necessary to do so. So if I have poor positioning of my legs and an offensive uh, player is backing me down as defense, I'm going to get moved right off the ball and they're going to slam dunk it right on my goalie. So it's ability to maintain good leg positioning so I can reduce force that's coming after me and then redirect it into a positive angle. So posture and position. This is a light bulb moment for me when I realized why do we lift weights? So imagine, and I play D midi. So imagine now we have a six by six goal. And if you're offense, I, I would, let's just pretend we're running straight down. And if I push you, you're dodging to the right. And I push you down the alley and I continue to drive you away. Your window of opportunity shrinks from that six by six goal into a two by six, three by six, one by six with a little person standing in there. Yeah. So if I maintain my position on the field and drive you down the alley, I take away your opportunity to score. Now, as we're rolling down the alley, you perform a roll and you wheel and deal inside of me. I lose my position as a defense. That one by six window really opens up for you. So that way you can score. So if we're talking about individuals, it's me fighting against weight, fighting against resistance to maintain good positioning of my lower body and my upper body and fighting with my trunk against that resistance. So that way it mimics what's executed on the field. So this is you're fighting for position. I'm fighting for position. But then we would level up with another person and an individual that makes it a hell of a lot more difficult than just a dumb barbell. So the, the reason we lift weights is to challenge posture and position and yes, gain resiliency, build, build uh, musculature, injury prevention, accelerate coordination, how I'm able to accomplish that on the field, because I don't have access to the weight room. Again, Texas lacrosse is a club sport right. is through manual resistance exercises. So this way I, I get into the different positions that are executed on the field maybe the most famous uh, eccentric manual resistance exercise is going to be a Nordic hamstring curl. Yeah. So if, if you, uh, if you go down on both knees, get into dorsiflexion. So pull your shoelaces towards your knee and active up on those toes. So get your knees touching the ground, your toes touching the ground. Now me as a partner, I take a knee behind both of your cleats. So that way you're not tempted to go into plantar flexion. I put all my weight onto your heels. You dig your heels into my hands and you just curl your body slowly drifting towards the ground. This eccentric, this lengthening of those hamstrings, that's a high amount of force. So yes, it's protecting you from injury. It's building up my posterior chain or your posterior chain. So that way you can take on more force 
And then we have them redirect it with a push up into a, uh, a, a hamstring curl back to the starting position. So that's one example. However, just under a basic understanding of physiology, this is tearing, this is ripping our, our muscles apart for our athletes. So anytime that we just rip, we don't want it to be lengthening. We need it to be dynamic and that we can accelerate their coordination by doing something dynamic. So it could be lunge jumps. It could be squat jumps, uh, rotational lunge jumps, could be high knees, skips, anything that's fast and training those hamstrings how to, to react. So with the eccentric, we're taking away their neurological pathway. They're fighting, they're doing their damnedest. And they have this one, uh, they have this one, this is the size principle for anyone that wants a deep dive into it. So they have this one neurological pathway and we're taking it away because we exhaust the coordination. So with this is intramuscular coordination. Yeah. So we have number encoding, rate encoding, and pattern encoding for our motor units within the muscle. So we, through manual resistance, through eccentrics, we're exhausting the number encoding, taking away all their motor units, and through the, the dynamic explosive movement following any eccentric, we're accelerating and digging the deeper into the muscle, recruiting more motor units, and then them figuring out the pattern. Uh, so we we do a manual resistance every single day. I just target different uh, different muscle groups in the upper and the lower body to accomplish this. Um, but it's no weight room. It's just partner. I like it on one more level up because it gets our dudes used to touching dudes. So it, it increases our physicality. We're comfortable with contact. And there's something within my brain because force equals resistance plus one. The, the resistor will always win. So that way, if we're doing a laying clamshell, so imagine I take a knee behind your hips and I'm pressing, you open up your knees, mm -hmm. I'm pressing your knees together. You're fighting back against me. I am calculating how much force to apply on your knee to get those knees closed. So it's not always maximal all out effort. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, I tell the, the dudes, it's a fine line between being a a good teammate and being an asshole. Yeah. An asshole would just hammer their knees closed, but a good teammate will apply just enough to keep them working, encouraging. So it's always moving. So now I'm calculating how much force I need to win this matchup all in my mind without them knowing it because they're 16 and they're not thinking about freaking force curves or any of that nonsense. So it's it's all these different calculations. Now when I step up against the, the South Star kids that are big, tall freaks of nature, okay, I need to uptick the amount of force that I'm applying against them. Maybe it's not a max out, but sure the hell got gonna be a hell of a lot more than if I'm facing, you know, a 5'2 freshman on JV that hasn't yet hit puberty and I don't want to send him to the hospital. I don't want a penalty, etc. So it's a lot of different things, but all challenging posture, positions on the field, and then being explosive and moving so we can accelerate that coordination all without a weight room. I know I yeah. said a lot, key words there, science principle, manual resistance, uh, and then, uh, I forget, dynamic explosive movement, right. having fun with it all. Uh, so that's the weightlifting that we do at practice with the Dripping Springs team. 
And it also the, the lengthening and the strengthening. I like it for the football kids because it's an active stretch. The dudes do not stretch as much as I want to preach this. So it's an active lengthening that they're definitely not doing within their own training and a more of a recovery for them because they're still giving me their max effort. It's just not as equal to the kids that did not have the one, two practices already that day. So everybody's working at max. It's just higher on some levels than others. Um, so that's the lifting portion. Yeah. Now for the conditioning, I, I shy away from energy systems. I go more effort based. Yeah. And I used to be in the camp that effort was assumed, but this is my nativity, whatever, however the hell you pronounce that as a hardworking Texas football player that played division three lacrosse short stick D midi. All of that is an anomaly. All of that is a thankless position. I will run through a wall. I don't care about goals or my name on the stat sheet. I don't give a shit. Effort was assumed with me. That is not the case when it comes to a lot of division one lacrosse players or high school kids who, you know, their parents are dropping them off and carrying their bag for them to tournaments. Effort is not assumed. So now it needs to be taken into consideration and a lot of the calculation and the tracking I would do with a higher level team or an individual, if I'm working with them, not here. So I focus when it comes to conditioning, uh, I split it into uh, three different things. The first is going to be lateral speed and agility, because that's the difference maker when it comes to in a, being evasive. So the difference right. between lacrosse and football in lacrosse, I need to be more evasive. I don't want contact. It's inevitable, but I don't want contact. In football, I want contact. If I'm a running back that I make it through to the second level, I'm going to seek out contact. Uh, with lacrosse, I want to evade and get away from it. So we're focusing on lateral agility first and foremost. The, the, the posture and position still applies. Then we have straight ahead speed. Not as often in, it's more often in football for me to get a, a breakaway in straight ahead speed than it is in lacrosse. Not to say that it doesn't happen, but we're still going to prepare for that. You know, I, I keep it within 60 yards. Anything outside of that in terms of uh, straight ahead breakaway speed, it's, it's just not going to happen. They're going to get to the fast break. They're going to get the ball to where it needs to go. And then they're going to either get their ass off the field or they're going right. to get into their formation and start running a play. So straight ahead speed is nothing at 60s. And then it now it's into the tempo. So regulating, not always max out speed. Why I regulate tempo is because if I told them, hey, this is a sprint, we're going all out every, every effort, excuse me, every single time, they're going to hit their wall. And then we're just going to be practicing jogging slow and yeah, poor technique. So tempo work, we're just focusing on sprint technique, 75%, a name drop here, Mr. Charlie Francis. Thank so you. this is, oh yeah, he's he's an excellent resource, uh, passed away, but still plenty of books out there to learn proper speed training from. A big thing with, with Francis, he was saying you can do more to take away from speed than, than get it. So it's not necessarily developing speed in season but we're not taking away from speed and still focusing on technique. So we're still hitting uh, tempo runs as majority of our conditioning. However, 
we reserve the right to uh can i curse on this yeah please okay we reserve the right to fuck them up if they're just you know they're not being responsive right uh when it comes to punishment uh this is a request from our head coach here at, at dripping and in, in my argument where if the only tool i have is a hammer everything looks like a nail to have different levels of punishment uh for the the jv and the varsity and I did this according to time. So it's 30 seconds to two minutes of punishment. This is just a mental reset. This could be burpees. It could be a half gasser. It could be anything that lasts from 30 seconds to two minutes. Just, you know, pillars, dead bugs, push-ups, just something to just say, hey, timeout, cool off. Rather than doing nothing, we're going to do some form of physical activity. Then level up from two minutes to five minutes. Meaning, okay, we're going to take away half the segment on our practice plan because you guys are are not focused, interested. I don't know what it is, but half the practice, uh, the segment, take that away for some form of running uh, or partner resistance, something uh, that is not just just running. It's more creative and more movement-based. And then we blow it all up, meaning this is – I don't know what's going on with the team today, but they are they're not benefiting from the what's right. on the practice plan. So we're just gonna we're gonna punish you. Uh so that could be anywhere from yeah, I don't know, five to ten minutes to thirty and send them out there. We got a nice hill here uh within the practice uh facility on campus. So can have some fun with that. But um now creating so those are the three base i got lateral speed and agility straight ahead speed and then tempo work yeah Uh, now when it comes to conditioning these are guidelines that i get into and try to present uh especially when um presenting to other coaches on tools to utilize and reverse engineering from a purpose that that we mentioned earlier first and foremost you know why do we condition why do we want to do it? A lot of coaches come out and say mental toughness or camaraderie. And I'm yeah. not mad at that. We just need to find ways to accomplish that. That isn't just burying the guys, causing worse shin splints, pounding pavement, essentially everything you see in any fighting movie we want to avoid. And don't take military training techniques and tools and give them to your team. That's not mental toughness training. No. Uh, next up, it's it's increasing. This is a major purpose for conditioning. It's increasing their coach ability. So we don't want them to just run and disappear up their own asshole and not be in a position where they can hear us, listen to us. So that is a, another pull away from just the running where they can do it mindlessly. We need something that's more complex and uh, it could be a number of reps, could be a number of rounds, it could be a partner exercise, it could be a relay, it could be something, an obstacle course where they have to think about it and solve problems and be aware and then listen to either their teammates or themselves. So that way we have uh, some awareness going into it that simulates the the stress of a game. They need to hear the coach from the sideline. They need to to communicate to their teammates. They need to read the defense. So if they are just conditioning so hard, it allows them to disappear. This is another term I'll throw out there, state-dependent learning. We're training them 
So as soon as the going gets tough and their heart rate reaches a certain point, not to pay attention or care. Just gut it out. No, 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 no. I need you to care. I need you to focus. I need you to pull people up so that we, we keep going. And now the most strength and conditioning answer for this is, is decrease the recovery time between maximal velocity efforts. And this is awesome for lacrosse. This is awesome for hockey. And this actually comes from uh, hockey in that the it was definitely the Russians. So Canada, during the Cold War, Canada got their asses kicked by Russia hockey. Yeah. And all communication between Russia was shut down. This is actually from one of Charlie Francis's books. So all communication with Russia was shut down. So hockey, uh, hockey in Canada, they assumed VO2 max. All the research says VO2 max. We're going to hammer our hockey players and increase our players' VO2 max. So they were, they were crushing the bike. They were doing all sorts of conditioning workouts. And their VO2 max was setting records for their hockey team. And then the next four years when they faced Russia, guess what happened? They got their asses kicked. So in the third period, Russia would outskate them. And the reason being, when the Cold War, uh, everything ended, Russia just gave Canada hockey everything, all their training manuals and everything. Canada's, uh, excuse me, Russia's practices were so fast. So they weren't doing the conditioning training to the extent that Canada was. They were practicing faster. Right. So the objective is decrease the recovery time between my maximal velocity efforts. So if we're able to practice faster, to decrease and almost calculate on a stopwatch the time between different reps. So if I'm running four on four, we're timing that run for 30 seconds. And then that same group is going to get 10 seconds, five seconds, and then they got to go again. So it's it's progressively decreasing this time between those maximal velocity sports-centric efforts that require thinking, movement, calculation with the body. And then next thing you know, the dudes are not collapsing when they sprint off the sideline because they're in a game shape versus just right. a, a trackable, measurable in shape. So two distinctions that I love to talk about is that game shape versus in shape and then the the francis the hockey story is one of my favorite to explain it doesn't matter what your metrics say if you're unable to play at a maximal velocity and then go again i've i'm just going to shout out really quick when you had explained the punishment piece you had said some partner resisted work and i just want to make sure that any coach listening does not do nordic hamstrings for five minutes you may have someone tear a hamstring off the bone. That's just my piece on yeah. that. But to your point, right? If you're not preparing the psycho-emotional aspect of sport, then you you are going to be surprised when your kids are still tired after a game, right? So if you are developing a, you know, a, a big trigger word for lacrosse has been, I want my team to play fast lately because of the Virginia runs and, and Maryland plays fast and Rutgers has the NASCAR offense. And you are breaking down your practices every three minutes to explain something. You are not conditioning your kids to play fast. You get in a game against a team that may have a higher tempo and your practices didn't line up with, okay, we are hitting... X amount of bouts in the two hours and every kid is going to be running at X amount of speed. That's why I think um, 
Princeton's guy, Mark Ellis, is doing a great job with his GPS unit tracking. He's making sure that these kids are hitting a certain percentage of their top speed a certain amount of times throughout the season or throughout practices where they are going to be prepared enough. And it being in practice makes sure that the emotional piece is getting hit. The adrenaline is higher than you would in a normal get on the line and run X amount of sprints, right? I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's it for a high school. We're not going to have GPS, so it's it's awesome right, if right. if uh, using our our purpose model that I introduced before. There's one key factor between it. So, what's our purpose? What are we trying to accomplish? Then, practical. What tools do I have at my disposal to execute my purpose? If you're at a higher level where you have access to GPS, hell, strap it on there. But that's going to show you we need to to regulate more speed work rather than say, Hey, Oh, they ran eight kilometers in this game. we got to run eight kilometers period. Oh, that's no, no, no. my favorite, right? Oh yeah. So don't, don't fall in that trap. And then that leads us to the prudent. Did it accomplish what we set it out to do? Oh, they covered eight kilometers. We ran eight kilometers and then we got slower and appeared in less shape. No, it didn't right. set it out. So you can cover eight kilometers just in bursts of speed. And with the, um, Yes, the manual resistance that's designated for strength. Yes. But then a partner resisted. This would be mimicking sled work the best we can without sleds. So say you're, you're uh, one of my favorites is a resisted backpedal. So say we're, we're partners. Um, you're set up in a low ready position like a cornerback backpedaling. And then I'm partner number two. I'm just, I got two hands on your lower back and you're backpedaling into me and I'm slowing you down. This is building up lactate within your quads. So we do a half gasser of resisted run. That's 53 yards. And then you would take off into uh, a half, a full gasser where the lactate is just hammered and, and uh, just jamming up your legs, but you still got to execute the run. So resisted is movement in our feet versus strength training, just to differentiate those, those two things. Right. Good, good point there for sure. I think you'd also turn that into a fun little game where you backpedal into someone five yards and then sprint out five yards. I think it gives a good uh, eccentric control portion of the sprint and then into that concentric portion of the sprint. So I think one of the most bothersome questions I get from middle school and high school players is just, well, I think if I want to go division one, I'm just gonna have to shoot faster, which is a crazy metric because if you're shooting 15%, but you shoot at hundred miles an hour. No one cares about that, but I think it's an important quality overall to have and develop rotational power. So how do you get kids to shoot faster? Well, the, you can argue a skill coach, but then right. taking one step below it, right? There are fundamentals of shooting, but there's also fundamentals to those fundamentals of shooting. So this would be the lunge position foot strength, right? Because I have to really plant and push off the back leg. So focusing on single leg, a Bulgarian split squat or a hold into uh, a lunge position and then aiming to move and stabilize throughout that full range of motion. So this would be breaking the shot down into minor movements and then improving my mobility that means my ability to, to move through the full range of motion and then my stability 
my ability to exert enough force for my body to move through that full range of motion under control. So how I would break this down, I'd start a kid into a side pillar and just simply hold that side pillar position where their heels are stacked, they're resting on their elbow, they're pressing their palm into the ground, and they have tall, pretty posture. They got a straight line from their heels all the way through the top of their head. Once yeah. we've established here, then we need to work on rotation. So I have them raise that hand, say they're on their left elbow, they would raise their right hand towards the sky. And they take that right hand and now they start to rotate. They're reaching underneath their armpit and rotating and twisting as far as they can get that right hand behind them. And their hips are still off the ground. Then nice steady control back to the top. So if they have an inability to do this, I can't expect them to go fast before they have shown the ability to control and go slow. So that's just one example of rotation. Then we can pop up on our feet and do the ISO lunge that, that, that you mentioned before. And now give me a big chest stretch, hug the world and twist and rotate towards your knee. And then we can rotate away from their knee, but I'd ask them to maintain their neutral hip position. And what happens when they rotate away from their knee? Do their hips move with their shoulders? What they're showing me is they don't have the ability to separate their shoulders and their hips. And we talk about shooting, my hips are going to be square when I follow through and my shoulders are going to continue to rotate on that follow through. But if my hips and shoulders are locked up, that means that I can't follow through on my shot. It's going to be much slower. Right. So it's, it's as simple as breaking the, the shot mechanics into an upper and a lower body. What do the movements look like? And then see if I can mimic those movements with just my body weight, no stick, and control that. And then I could take one step further down and just focus on foot strength, you know, knee hamstring stability, and then a big push off that back leg. So it's uh, it's it's simple. I would say focus on the position first, then uh, add the movement as we did, just show me stability and control, and then introduce, reintroduce the skill uh, into it, and then add the speed, and then add the the change of direction piece or the skill where I have to catch and then shoot versus just shooting. So just take one step down the ladder than you think you are ready for, and master it, and then it will be expressed in the more uh, the more complex movement ahead. Yeah. Dave, Dave Tate, I think outlines in one of his books, the three ways to get stronger. And it's, you get better at the skill, you get bigger or you get stronger. And so I think you're touching on, on three of those things at, at all times here where maybe a middle school or high schooler puts on 10 pounds of muscle in the off season. We can expect them to maybe shoot a little faster. They may have put 50 pounds on their squat in the off season. They, they may be able to shoot faster but the biggest one is just making sure that there's no energy wasted in the shot, right? If you back up into a shot and you're cradling a hundred million times, you're not really setting yourself up for fastest possible scenario. Um, and then I, I, I like to think as well too, that shot speed is not all that matters. Uh, I never, I, I have literally never shot over 90 miles an hour um, because I don't care about how fast I rotate. 
Um, but I shot like 38% in college. So that to me is a more applicable skill in a high level scenario. Now my golf game suffers because I can't drive the ball very far, but we're working on that. And I expect my, my shot speed to go up a little bit as I uh, go out to the golf course more. Right. Um, and so get the last better thing, at the skill. Yeah. yeah. So it's all, yeah. it's all connected. Yeah. My hips do not get into it enough and I do not have enough hip internal rotation off of my back leg. So that is a uh, key piece in rotating that I think if you focus on, or if you focus on building up those qualities, you can also expect to put some MPHs on that thing. So in terms of lacrosse and moving forward, how do you see the game progressing? How do we see the overall atmosphere of lacrosse kind of changing behind culture in terms of advancing the sport, right? You were just at LaxCon. I'm sure you saw a bunch. You positive about it? You negative about it? Or or what can we see moving forward? Well, I'm an internal optimist. So uh, it certainly is positive because more, it all comes down to coaching. More coaches, more former players are getting involved in coaching and giving back. So they are going and playing on the East Coast and either returning home to wherever it is or taking job opportunities all uh, across the country and getting back involved with the sport. So then it is a spark. And if you've read Dan Coyle's talent code, Mm -hmm. it just takes a spark. If a coach can have a connection with a kid and it's positive, then he continues to play and be motivated through the negative, the hard work, all the 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 adversity that comes with being an athlete then the coach you know did an, an amazing job spreading the love of the game so i think it's positive what i would like to see and this has been my my goal for 20 years is bringing a relationship with hard work and weight training to the sport of lacrosse and i know you're on board yeah so it has it will create so much more opportunity for not as skilled individuals to find success on the sport. The better an athlete you are, the more coordinated you are, the more coordinated you are, the more coachable you are, the more coachable you are, the more coaches invest their time and effort and energy into you. And then it leads to a better product on the field and more opportunities for you. So that, that is that is it is is creating this understanding, this foundation, these the fundamentals of the fundamentals that are connected to more general movements within the weight room that will then lead to more opportunities and expression and success on the field. So that is going across because the weight room is the only reason that I had the opportunity to go play college lacrosse. It was not for my skill certainly is now like you you mentioned shooting percentage dude i I took maybe five (laughs) shots in my career two goals and then a whole bunch of highlight film knockouts that are definitely illegal right now so the it gave me the opportunity to find a specific role within my team and how we operated defensively and now i have lifelong friends and it's it sent coaching it led me into coaching which has sent me around the world all because you know some football coach gave up on me back then but we had a dude volunteer his time to give back to his community when i was at a high school level so aiming to do that now with my high school team just giving back and and sharing the experiences of my understanding of movement and putting them in a position to succeed 
I wish we had a weight room. We don't, but we're doing what we can from there. So I'm very positive about the, the expansion of the sport and then doing my part the best I can to bring this relate healthy relationship with hard work and training and getting over some biases. People say, you know, weightlifting is going to make you stiff. It's going to affect your shot. Basketball went through the same fight that lacrosse is going through 20, 30 years ago. It's all bullshit. Now, if you look at the preparation in every single major basketball program benefits from a hell of a, a strength coach in place. Kansas right. had major runs because Andrea Hootie was a hell of a coach and put them in position to succeed. Now she's with Connecticut basket, women's basketball. But it was a coach behind the scene that wanted no credit that put these people in a position to unlock their athletic potential and take them where they could not take themselves. So as long as there's unselfish coaches out there bringing passion to what they love and the game that gave them opportunities and giving if their strength is shooting, if their strength is face-off, if their strength is defense, if their strength is physical preparation, training, and being a good, responsible dude, hell, bring that to the game, and some kid somewhere is going to benefit. So that's that's what it's all about. I'm very optimistic. And if you have a negative uh, view on the future of the game, either get the hell out or change your attitude. Because yeah. you're going to bring that attitude to some kid and you're going to switch and turn them off and give your label, your negative experience to the kid and create what's called a coaching scar. And they're right. going to be switched off to hard work, lacrosse, training, conditioning, weightlifting, whatever it may be, because you're a selfish asshole. So take yourself away as soon as you cross the line to step onto the field and you have the, you know, the, the whistle in hand and the the uh, the coach label on your chest, dude, make it about the kids and no way that the uh, the world, the future can be negative if you take it upon yourself to change it. So sorry to soapbox a little bit, dude, getting no, excited, fine. but yeah, yeah, man, no, no room for it, no. negativity. No, I agree, man. The worst thing that you can do if you have a negative attitude about something is not do anything at all, right? So if you don't like where the culture's going or wherever, maybe the best option is to, you know, take a bite out of it, start your own club lacrosse team or do something to impact a couple kids. But uh, Tex, this has been phenomenal, man. We got a ton of information out of this. We got probably a bunch of show notes I have to go over to make sure I link up some certain things or some shameless plugs on your end what do you want to end with man what do we got to plug up uh quickly coaches i encourage you to uh, continue your education and social media is the best way if you're a podcast learner check out power athlete radio on podcast amazing opportunity uh, i aim to highlight at least one pll player a year otherwise it's a whole bunch of coaches football strength training you name it but it's all based off human performance and that's a great place to learn yeah. That's all I got. All you got, man? Well, uh, check out Tex. His Instagram is a pretty good place to start off with. He's got links all over, and you can check him out. You can check out Power Athlete. But this has been great, Tex. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your knowledge. And uh, be sure to hear from you soon, man.